Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This podcast is brought to you by One Skin. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for skincare products that can actually do what they say they do and promise. I'm, it's always like, oh, this is going to be the one. And I first learned about OneSkin, not through this show, uh, but through my friend Heidi. She gifted me some OneSkin moisturizer. And since then, I've added the eye cream. But that's actually how I first heard about it. And they do an amazing job of targeting skin aging at the source. And I think a lot of times that's like health. Instead of getting to the root cause, everyone's just managing the symptom. And they do an incredible job of combined tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to create the world's most effective product to target skin aging. They have a great offer for you today. And One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, which is nice, but to improve our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. And they created this next level of skincare. Um, I actually had a person on the podcast who is doing the same thing in a different way. And the product that he uses, go figure, is OneSkin. And it's the world's first skin longevity company. OneSkin addresses skin health at the molecular level. I really do love science, but I like things to work, especially when it comes to beauty, targeting They're going for the root cause of aging. Your skin will feel and appear younger. It's time to get started with your new face, eye, and body routine, but it is still really simple. And they have an incredible discounted rate today. You can get 15% off with the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y, at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code Gabby. Now is the best time. I mean, we're not going to be any younger tomorrow to invest in your skin. Age healthy with one skin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Gabby Ree Show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Jaya, and she's a sexologist. And for me, entering into these types of conversations, 
is not only am I trying to keep my mind open so that I can learn more, but I'm also, I don't, I don't know if it's like a habit, just trying to figure out, well, what is this person also trying to accomplish? And when I dig down into Jaya's work, it's, I realize that it isn't so different from someone like me who really is interested in through movement and food in my case, and kind of some community practices and things like that. How do we optimize who we are? How are we our best selves? How do we get to show up the best way that we can in our lives in whichever capacity, in work, in our relationships, romantic, whether we're parents, friends, lovers. And when I started to really dig into Jaya's work, you realize she's trying to do the same thing. She's saying, hey, how do we honor who we really are? And then in this case, sexually, so we can optimize fully ourselves. And I think a lot of times when we think about sex, sexuality, eroticism, it always has this connotation of something that happens over there in the dark, in the secret. But in fact, it is something that is so healthy and a part of being a human being and that the better relationship we have with it, it probably lives more in the light, if that makes sense, versus suppressing and, and not really facing or sharing with somebody if we're in an intimate relationship, like, hey, this is what I really like or what I need. Or So whether you're single or male or female or in a long relationship or new relationship, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. So Jaya, welcome to the show again before we were with Neil. I was in a bikini. Yes, we were in the truth barrel. <laughs> yes. I love doing the truth barrel. It does create limitations though. A lot of people are like, oh, what do you mean? We're going to be in a sauna and a bathing suit. I um, love it. I love being hot though. Like having all that heat on my body, just, yeah. it feels like home. Well, the, the thing about the sauna too, because you are in bikinis and you're exposed and, and you're only going to be in there 15 or 20 minutes, you have to kind of get to the point. True. Yeah. So we were just talking about, um, you know, sort of not hacking our way through everything and that certain things not only see, cause I think when people think the alternative, they think, oh, everything has to be work. And you said something really important. You said, no, you can, it can be fun, mm -hmm. but it does take time. Yeah. And when thinking about this conversation, what I like about having this conversation with you is I feel like we cover a spectrum that we're very different types of people. So it's an opportunity to really talk about all sides of a spectrum mm. around intimacy, sexuality, pleasure, um, rather than, oh, we're so similar. Right. And what occurred to me, and it was after, because I talked to Amy, and she said something that I, I thought, this is how I wanted to start this conversation, that like I am trying to do through maybe movement and nutrition, which is be my full and whole potential self, you are actually having that same conversation, but through pleasure mm -hmm. versus we're talking about sex, right? That this is a much more spiritual and an invitation. It feels like in your new book, your, uh, your blueprint for pleasure, and even that you have a quiz and things like that. It's like, well, no, we're just, you're just trying to encourage people to say, Hey, optimize your whole self. Mm -hmm. And one of the, and one of those avenues is through intimacy sexuality. And sexuality. Yeah. So it really reframed it for me because mm. I think we hear sexuality and it has this whole other idea, like it's separate. Like right. there's me, the person, the spiritual being, all these other things. And then there's my sexuality way over here. Yeah. I used to say that one of the biggest mistakes we ever made was taking the spirituality 
out of the bedroom, taking God out of sex. It's all part. We're all, we're all here because of sexuality in some way. And that's part of life. And it's designed that way. How, I mean, uh, you know, there's always like a few bad actors that realize that like when we talk about God and religion that they go, oh, we can mani- manipulate this whole group. Right. Because, and we can make rules. So in your perfect world, if you were to go back and say, hey, what would that look like, that union of of God and goodness and sexuality and maybe how that was, how it's meant to be versus we've turned it, especially in the U.S., mm-hmm. we're really afraid of sex, right? It's yes. dirty. We're fine with guns and violence and killing. Right. Nudity and sexuality is like really freaks us out. Um, yeah, it never made sense to me. Ever, even as a little kid, I'd how be like, are you re- why are we watching violence? Like, why is that not? O- why is this okay? Right to see blood and people in hate, and it's not okay to see people in pleasure. It never ever made sense to me. Do you think it's because sometimes when you and again, I have this. I think I have this linear kind of personality, and also I grew up with very freewheeling adults, mm. so it kind of pushed me the other way. Right, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And again, I was born in 1970. So if you can imagine those adults at that time, I lived in the Caribbean. And so in a way you thought, oh, pleasure and sexuality has this out of controlness Mm. to it. Afraid of that Dionysian aspect or the Bacchus aspect, where if we actually go down that road, it's going to become wild and out of control. Right. And so maybe uh, let's say we're, we're starting fresh right now because I and that's my whole thing about learning is in your as somebody who isn't intimidated by it or sort of think you know you feel compelled to go towards it mm-hmm. what about sexuality was something that you thought oh I'm gonna dive deeper into this like they're getting it wrong I'm gonna really try to mm-hmm. understand what it's supposed to be yeah I was really young when it became a mission for me and I must have seen Dr. Ruth or something on television. <laughs> if you know her. She's amazing. I love her. <laughs> so I told my parents that I wanted to go into fertility medicine because that was a safe thing to go into instead of saying, you know, I actually really would love to teach the world about sexuality. And it was something I was really, really drawn to. I was the one who like taught all of my friends. It wasn't the stork. Let me tell you the truth like about how, what's when you really say going young, on like, here. Like six or seven years old. Wow. Yeah. And I would go to the library and I would sneak into the section that had the sex books so that I could learn and I could read and learn about it. I grew up Roman Catholic. So this was like very taboo even then for me to be like sneaking. So that's why I would go to the library. I would spend hours in the library <laughs> getting books and, and researching these things because there was a natural curiosity in me. But there was also, I had this, even as a young age, like they're lying, like somebody's lying to us by telling us the stork story or telling us that this is somehow wrong. There has to be other information out there that shows a different way and a, a different route. So when I was 19, I got involved in tantric sex because it was actually something that still blended spirituality with sexuality. In history, you know, and when we look at religion from Eastern culture, there was often the right-handed path or the aesthetic path, the path that was renounced the world. And then there's also the path of the tantrikas that came along a little later, which was, no, we can be in the world and still become Buddhas, and women can become Buddhas, and householders can become Buddhas. And that was the difference between the right hand, renounce the world, and the left hand, no, let's embrace the world, and sexuality is part of that. And they actually saw sex as a tool, and I believe my definition of sex is sex is a tool for our own inner awakening to who we really are. 
And it's how are you using the tool, just like anything else. I think all roads lead to that path. All roads lead to our own awakening, our own self-realization. And sex is just one of those tools. It's just interesting because it's been isolated to a, behind a closed door. And it's, it's been, it has become so other. Mm-hmm. It's that other side of myself. I've even, I, when you talk, I go, oh, like even in my relationship, I've said, well, that's that place I, I can, I get to express that side of myself mm-hmm. that per, with that person. Right. And that, um, the things that, you know, Laird has brought out in me was he's, that's sort of the only time I'm that expressing person. that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and that always felt like uh, for lack, like just to abbreviate it, like, I don't want to say clean, mm-hmm. but it was like, no, I'm in the, I'm in it. Right. I'm with you. We're do like, I'm, we're doing all the other things. We're having children. And as far as like being responsible and making sure houses are cleaned up and foods getting made. And it felt like just another opportunity to express a side of yourself. I'm just curious for like your thinking, you know, it's like people have really different ideas about, well, no, I can express that sort of woven throughout my life. Like Mm -hmm. how does that maybe help me understand that better? Because again, it's like, you do have it isolated. It's not like our kids don't know we have sex. You know, one is like totally chill about it. So is another, the youngest one. It's like, I don't want to hear. How old are your girls now? They're old. They're 15, almost 19. and, And then we have an adult daughter. The older two never had an, like were weird. The younger mm-hmm. one is still kind of in, you know, like, do you guys have to kiss in front of me and, right. you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she, she was the one who, when she was six said to me, wait, let me get this straight. You say that you and dad are, need some little alone time. When I'm, I need alone time. I'm by myself. When you need alone time, you're together. And I used to joke with her and say, do you want to have Christmas in two different houses? Like parents need to have (laughs) this other time time together or it's just not going to, it's not going to last. I think that's absolutely 100% true. (laughs) She did ponder wanting to have Christmas in two different houses. (laughs) Of course. Because she thought, I think she was doing the math. Like, what would I get more presents or whatever. (laughs) Smart one. (laughs) But from your point of view... You know, it's like training goes in, it's not limited to the gym. It could be outside. Um, Food is sort of throughout the day. Mm -hmm. These are all, you know, learning and education work. So for you, from your point of view, where does sex live in our lives? I think it's an interesting conversation, the difference between sex and the erotic. Mm. And it's why I created erotic blueprints versus just the sexual blueprint. And so... For me, the erotic is infused in everything. It is the life force. And so everything in life is erotic. I also think about, too, in in hearing your question, the pilot light of our aliveness, the pilot light of our eroticism, staying on versus allowing that pilot light to go off. And then we're like, okay, now we're in the bedroom and now I got to be in the mood. But how are you feeding pleasure through the day? You know, how are you washing your hair when you're in the shower? How are you breathing? How are you, when you're in your workout, you know, can you bring that element of life force and aliveness into your body and into an embodiment that then carries carries through when you get into the bedroom? Now you've already got your pilot light lit and there isn't like, now we got to start something. That's a really interesting point. 
And that's why I said I was so glad to talk to you because I'm very kind of, again, I'll use my youngest daughter. She's like, oh, you're very practical. Like, I'm not so much an extra person, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I think it's an interesting idea. But when you hear the word erotic, you think it's isolated to something else, but you're really just saying, hey, the pleasure and enjoyment of throughout your life and how you of live life. your life. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we have a thing in, within our company called Pleasure First. And it's it's even something as simple as, are you celebrating your achievements? Are you, are you taking a moment to take a breath mm -hmm. and go, oh, I did this thing and that's pleasurable. Or let me just change the way I'm sitting in the seat so that it could be more pleasurable and becoming even more aware of my body and where it is in space. Or am I breathing or am I holding my breath right now? Am I here? Am I present with the person who I'm with? Am I yeah. looking in their eyes? Am I open or am I closed? And am I actually not here because I'm off thinking about the 50,000 things or in technology and technology. <laughs> technology. I heard you say in doing in getting ready for this conversation, pleasure finding versus seeking. Uh huh. Yeah, I think this, this is a really important piece because if we're always seeking something, then we're always seeking. We're never having. So if we're finding pleasure, then we're having pleasure. Even just right now, I mean, as people are listening to this, they can just scan right now. Most people, when they go to scan their body, they're scanning for where it doesn't feel good or that's the first thing that comes to their attention. And so this is an opportunity to scan for, well, actually, where are you resourced? Where does it feel good? Where's your breath living in your body? Or is there something in your pinky toe that just feels really delicious? And can you bring more awareness to that? As we bring awareness to that, that pleasure grows within ourselves. I really appreciated that point because I think we're trained. It's almost like our neuropathways in our brain or something is just trained to notice only the discomfort, not to really appreciate that subtle mm -hmm. sort of all the things that are good right. and beautiful happening all the time, even, even if it's just noticing it as you're moving through, mm -hmm. you know, through life. And, and you, you know, you and Ian work very, very hard together. I ha I have to ask, um, cause I, I work with my husband, but not imagine you guys are like at this level uh, of where you're working together from, that I found so interesting that you could could do that. And then how would you bring, kind of push that all out and then just have your own practice as a couple? Mm -hmm. How do you, how, what's the art that you guys have figured out um, on how you, you can talk about this and then actually really live it mm -hmm. in your day-to-day -to -day together. Yeah, I think that's a really important piece. We were even just saying yesterday in the car as we were sitting in Los Angeles traffic, we were like, you know, every time I do these interviews, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that thing. And let's practice that more. Let's put into practice that thing I just said or just taught or talked about with a client. Mm -hmm. We forgot that piece. Let's bring that back. And so we have these conversations of well, where have we allowed things to kind of fall off and can we bring back some of the, and one of the things I was talking about is making everything orgasmic. Can we take every moment, even though it seems like it's a rough moment and turn it into pleasure and make it orgasmic and make that part of our practice. So we have practices and we have the tools and it's like, we have to actually use the tools that we yeah. teach and write about and speak about. And the other thing I think that really shifted for us was I used to be the boss lady. 
and the CEO, and now he's the CEO of the company. And that dynamic really shifted things for us, as well as I've moved more out and spend more time with our son and do what I think people would consider more feminine things and switching the polarities a little in our Mm -hmm. dynamic. And then the other, I think, really important piece is we set aside intimacy time that is just in our busyness and everything that's going on. It's like, okay, we have this time every Friday night that is our intimate time. And we get to decide within that what is intimate for us. So that could be using one of our tools. That could be making love with each other. That could be something that starts to excite us in our own lives and gets that energy going. What if you're really tired and yeah. <laughs> you're, it's been, you've been traveling and, um, you know, sometimes like the most replenishing thing is, is that quietness or the stillness that helps you get back on an axis. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's always a middle place, a balance. I just think an axis of some sort. Do you, do you guys ever allow that time to be that still and allow I'm a person who needs, I resource in the alone and Mm. in the still and in the quiet. So we do our best to create that for ourselves within our home, within, you know, when we're traveling on the road, that we're having those moments of still quiet so that I can resource. He's the opposite. He like, he wants to go out and do things and play and that resources him. So it's Mm -hmm. about knowing what resources us and brings us back to each other more full yeah. In each other. And I think the other thing that's really important for me is having some kind of practice. But there are things in life that happen. I mean, illness, yeah. tired, overworked, the world, and just things that are happening in the world sometimes can take us into a place where there is a need to replenish. And for some people, for some blueprints, it is replenishing to have sex. And for other blueprints, it they need to feel replenished in order to have sex. This podcast is brought to you by Hydro, and this is a rower that was I was exposed to by my friend Whitney Cummings, and she knows that we like to exercise in our house, and I had never used the Hydro rower, and it's been about two years, and it's really the best. It's state-of-the-art, at-home. It's an at-home rowing machine that delivers the ultimate full-body workout, and it was designed by rowers. And what I like about it is I'm taller. The action is very smooth and long. It's so easy to use, and it works about 86% of your muscles. You've got your arms, your legs, your core, and it only takes 20 minutes. The fun part for me is because the wor- the workouts themselves, there's a screen, right? And they're taught by Olympians and world-class athletes. They're, they're rowing in real life, in real time, and they're really great coaches. And so no matter what your fitness level is, you can choose your menu, like how much time do you have? How hard do you want to go? And you can go, you know, like if you're an athlete and you're trying to up your performance or you're getting going, you know, it's holiday or post-holiday, this is really an incredible workout. And it's one of the few machines that I've had at my house that I see us using. It really keeps you motivated and 90% of customers are still active one year later. That says a lot. It's not a clothes hanger. It's not a place that you store stuff. You can get on there. It's really inviting, very smooth. The programs are fun. And again, it's customized to whatever 
you want to do. So you want to go really hard. You want to go for a long time. You can only go short. You're just getting going. Maybe you have a favorite instructor and they're really cool. Like they're doing it and it's all really well thought out. And if you'd like to join the growing rowing community at Hydro, all you have to do is head over to hydro.com and use the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y, and you can save up to $500 off your Hydro. That's hydro.com. And remember the code Gabby to save up to $500. H-Y-D-R-O-W.com. And don't forget to use the code Gabby. This podcast is brought to you by Vionic Shoes. I first got my pair of Georgie Mules. I guess it's already about six weeks now. I since have ordered some for one of my daughters. I've even gotten another color. And I love these shoes. First of all, so cute because let's start there. I mean, we all want stuff that looks good. And really what sets them apart is their Viomotion technology. Well, what does that mean? Well, these guys began by revolutionizing medical orthotics. So if you want to talk about how comfortable it is, that's where they started. But today they continue to use that science to engineer shoes that leave you really feeling energized and confident all day. However, they are really attractive and they use the best curated styles to get you into the season. Maybe you need some leathers or suede. They even have weather-ready boots. And if you're traveling, these, these shoes are so comfortable and easy to use. They've got performance sneakers to keep you moving. And I have to say that if you have a large foot, they have all, everything comes in an 11. I have a 12, definitely a few styles come in a 12. They've got boots in 12. The Georgie Mule comes in a 12. And it can go for whatever you need. It's like work ready. Whatever you're looking for, Vionic definitely has a style for you and you don't have to sacrifice quality or comfort or cuteness. And they even offer a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return for a full refund within 30 days. So I have really, I'm so glad I discovered them and now I'm sharing with my own family. And if you'd like to learn more about Vionic or check out all their styles, they have a great offer for you today. All you have to do is use the code Gabby at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com. And when you log into your account, it is a one-time use only. That is vionicshoes.com, V-I-O-N-I-C-S-H-O-E-S.com. Let's we let's break down the blueprints. I I did take the quiz, of course, because you know, I I think I was surprised. Um, if I recall, Ian is a sensual kinky. kinky. Okay, mm-hmm. so he actually needs to sort of be brought to the place a little bit. Exactly what I was saying. This, he needs yeah, that's to what, resource. That's first what made me think in of order that. To want and he's to have like sex. a little. He he likes to get naughty a little bit. Yes, I like that. So these words. Again, I'm going to I'm going to be your sort of blue collar person, mm-hmm. right? Who weirdly because my parents or stepfather and my mom were more almost open and you became liberal. more conservative. Yeah, and it's not even conservative like do it people should do what they want. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that, just in my maybe my own practice mm-hmm. in a certain way. It doesn't mean I wasn't like, hey, let me explore, but there was a, probably what would one would consider a conventionalness around it. So when you hear words like you know, bring the erotic to everything, I think people we've got the wrong idea 
about what the words actually mean. I agree. So, Because when you say it, and I see the stillness in your face when you say it, it's like, oh yeah, she doesn't mean it actually in the ways that we've all been trained in what it means or the orgasmic. It's like, I can see people like, you know, they're hustling to work with their tie on thinking you're eating a yogurt going, oh my God, you know, it's like, that's not what you mean. (laughs) Right. So I I think it's really important that subtlety about what these words mean Mm -hmm. and how they've been used versus really what what they bring to us. Right. I think that's why I called it the erotic blueprints was because eroticism encompasses a wholeness and eroticism is the art of life. And that celebration of life is our eroticism and the artistry is what we bring to a sexual experience. And so sex, if I call them the sexual blueprints, there, there is a sexual blueprint, but that is different than eroticism. And I think whether the people conflate the two, that sex, which is intercourse in the limited definition of what sex is for the majority of people, whereas you heard my definition earlier, which is sex is actually a tool for our awakening. That's a very different definition yeah. than, than intercourse. Intercourse is intercourse, but sex encompasses so much, so much more and something so much bigger. So in the blueprints, that brings up a lot of thoughts for me. Um, I can see them going. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh yeah. So there's five types. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did how did you land on them? Can we can we talk about each one? Absolutely. And people are often a combination. Yes. And so I landed on them. I've been in practice for 30 years and I'm a somatic sexologist. And so what that means is I've been working with a lot of people's bodies. I have the idea that it's not just sex in our mind. It's what is the body saying? And sometimes those are two different things. And so can we get online to see what is actually really happening with a, with a human being as they're being in arousal? And so in my practice one day, I was working with a client who was struggling with erectile function and he really was feeling disconnected from his wife and she was feeling like she couldn't win. She was just like, I've tried all the, all the magazine things, all the tips. I've read all the, you know, sex tips and tools and techniques. And she's trying all these things and nothing is working between the two of them. And they're getting more and more estranged. Because when you put that stress around it, it even just makes it it gets worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because then now, now they've got pressure. Mm-hmm. And then every time you go to have sex, there's this awkwardness or this, it just all starts to break down. And so we were there in my office and I'm just kind of assessing, feeling out. He's on the massage table and I'm having her hover her hands and we're hovering her, our hands over his body. And his body starts to get these waves, these undulations, just very subtly moving through his body. And his breath starts to shift and he starts to get color in his face. And she's kind of looking at me a little like, what's, what's happening? And, and then he gets an erection and she's stumped. Like what, we're just holding our hands like a few feet over his body. And he's, his eyes like open up because his body starts to really shake and start to vibrate. And he goes, what is happening? And I said, you're just wired differently. You're not wired sexually. You're wired energetically, which means you like a lot of space, anticipation, tease. The space in between is where all the turn on is in the longing and the yearning and the anticipation of what's about to happen. And with all of the sex techniques, there was no space for that. It was all collapsed. 
And so now we just opened up his eroticism, which doesn't have to do with actual physical touch, but more in the energetic field. And you'd think for, I mean, let's, if we get real back to basics, a lot of guys wouldn't realize that they would need that. Right. Because we think of in our culture that all men are sexual. Yeah. And, and I find like, I'll be totally honest. When you said that earlier, I find because my husband is braver or more emotionally sort of uh, courageous mm-hmm. and willing to be vulnerable, he uh, he would much rather like cuddle more and do all that. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I can't be bothered with this. <laughs> like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and that's the way Ian and I were. The clock's running and, you know. Yep, we got to get back to things. Let's, you know, and yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, and I'm, I, it's so, I I just also want to remind people that uh, it's not as it seems. And by the way, being wanting one or the other isn't more of something or not. Mm-hmm. But what I feel is that he is, his intimacy or his intimate capacity is greater, which also makes me think that he, that there's a braveness to that, mm-hmm. that I don't, and I can say it cause I'm on the other side that yeah. I feel like, oh, you're, you haven't fully gotten there yet. Yeah. I think it takes a certain amount of courage to start to explore in this realm. Yes. And, um, that courage of like, oh, this feels edgy, but I'm going to dive in. I, I'm curious yeah. about that. And I want to really dive into it. I think, Yeah. So how, okay, so you you started to realize like, oh, wait, there's different types. Mm-hmm. So maybe just share the five types, the the blueprints. And again, people can be a, a bit of this and that. Absolutely. Percentages of all of them. Yeah. So energetic, that was the one I was just talking about, the anticipation space tease, the superpower of the energetic is that you can have orgasms without even needing to be touched. You can go into these expanded states of consciousness and have the the variety of the orgasmic experiences very large in terms of like a multidimensional sexuality or transpersonal sexuality. So when I say transpersonal, um, Stan Groff, I'm a big fan of Stan Groff, um, was a pioneer in transpersonal psychology. And the transpersonal realms are things like oh my gosh, we're soulmates. Like that moment in sex where you're like, we've done this before. Like we've had some kind of connection before this. Mm -hmm. It's a very energetic type of experience or even um, feeling like you're seeing um, visuals like on a psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. That can be something that can happen for energetics as well. Lucky for them. Yeah. Especially if they get the right partner. Especially (laughs) if if they have somebody who really knows how to play. It'd be a bummer if they didn't, but that sounds like they have a... A sort of rich experience. A very rich experience. Yeah. Very expansive experience. Yeah. The shadow side of that is hypersensitivity. Mm. So too much, too quick, too fast, they're going to dissociate out of their body. Oftentimes, energetics have unhealed trauma in their history, and it's created a hypervigilance in their nervous system where it's it's really hard for them to take too much, too fast, quickly. Mm. They just short circuit. And then it's also hard for them to say no to say, wait a minute, slow down, stop. Instead, their body starts to build up armoring. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What if, what do you see, um, especially, you know, when you hear how many people have had some type of sexual trauma of sorts, um, when someone comes to you and you, is how do you get them to sort of meet that and then move from there? What what are some of the steps? Because I, I think there's a lot more people, even if it's just, 
when they were young and had their first partner and nobody knew what they were doing right. and it didn't go well <laughs> right. or, you know, Which something Which so like, many of us that's, have right. had that experience. Yeah. How do you, what is a way people can start to kind of look at that and, and start to heal that so that they can have a richer adult sex mm-hmm. life? I think the first step is the awareness, like you're saying. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I'm aware how many people think about their sexual history in this way to comb through and go, well, maybe that wasn't the best yeah. experience. And then how did that cause the way that I am today in my sexuality? And so first is just to gain awareness of some of the material that may actually be there around sex. And what are the belief systems that got created out of that? What is the meaning? And then what are the actions and events that come from that? And so looking at that and then go, okay, now I'm committed to unraveling that and healing these aspects of myself. I really love parts work. I didn't know I was doing it at the beginning, but um, have come to understand more about IFS, internal family systems Mm -hmm. over time. And really looking at like, well, what part of me didn't get to develop past that moment? What part of me is still scared? What part of me has judgment about my body? What part, what aspect of me is having this? And what is the charge behind that aspect? And then how do I now integrate that? And that can be, there's a number of different kinds of techniques. Accelerated evolution is one that I really love and work with a lot in my practice, which is now let's take that part and see what its goal was. What did it want for you? Mm -hmm. And we keep going up a chain of goals until there's no more goals left. And there's something that happens for people that's really quite beautiful where they go into a state called pleroma. And that Mm -hmm. state is a state of nothingness, a state of emptiness, where that aspect now has integrated into wholeness again, because we were able to go through what that part of you actually wanted and needed and needs. Because I think all these parts of ourselves are trying to lead us home. They're trying to lead us into more wholeness of self. And that goes true for our sexuality as well. So that's one way. And then another way is somatically. So because sometimes these artifacts, I call them artifacts of trauma, are hidden in the body. And so what happens? Is there a pain in the body? And I I actually created a bodywork modality of going through and going, okay, there's something physical here. The muscles are tight. Something's out of alignment. There's something weak here, whatever that may be that's physically happening. And then underneath that layer of physicality, once we start to bring that back online or we loosen that muscle or whatever is happening there, then we can move into the psyche-emotional aspect. So what emotion is behind this? Mm -hmm. And then underneath that, there may be a transpersonal layer of some kind of belief system or archetypes or something like that that's there. And then we move into truth. And so we can take any part of the body and move it back into truth and back into wholeness. It's so interesting because you know, there's, it's sort of like a multi-numbered, you know, security code on a safe Right. (laughs) that it's like, you know, step-by-step undoing it. And it's so worth it though, because this idea of just suffering or bottling up or locking, you know, hunching down and muscling through. Well, because then not only do you, does the individual suffer, but they're also missing out and the people around Around them, they're not getting to connect and 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 sort of experience each other right. as wholly as as possible. So okay, so we have the energetic and the sensuals next. Yeah. You like that one. <laughs> Look at her. See that? See her face? Look at Ian's perked up there too. Yeah. <laughs> He's a sensual. <laughs> um, yeah. So the sensual is someone who's turned on by their senses being ignited. 
That's taste, smell, the beauty of an environment, and the touch. And so whereas an energetic is all the space in between the touch, the sensual likes to collapse the space. So you mm. talked about your partner, you know, yeah. wanting to cuddle. That's a oh very sensual <laughs> Same thing with Ian. He would come to bed and like want to cuddle. And I, we had a new baby and I'm like, what are you cuddling with me for? Can't we just get to it? <laughs> this kid's going to wake up soon, buddy. <laughs> we, we got 15 minutes. <laughs> Seriously, if. <laughs> yeah. So we would have this interesting thing where I would come to bed at night and he'd cuddle with me and I'd be like, oh God, like I roll internally, you know, he's cuddling with me again. And, um, and I would do things like touch his genitals. And he'd be like, why is she being so obvious? You know, why? Like, I can just see like, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Ian. He's like, no, I was thinking like my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, all right, all right. <laughs> and just grab his package. Yep. <laughs> and I'd be like, are we going to have sex or not? And, and then I, he'd roll over. And then I'd, then I'd like start the, in my head, right? That yeah. he doesn't want me anymore. Like yeah. all that stuff. Now we have the, a baby. Right, Ooh, right. Isn't it crazy how we go there? It is crazy how we go there. And so, you know, as a sexologist, this was a really rough time. <laughs> but then I learned he was sensual as we went on and the blueprint started to develop. You know, this was at the time in my practice where I'm like, I got to solve my own sexual problem. Sure. And that's when the blueprints got born, really, was out of me trying to figure out this guy um, who was cuddling with me. And I just, and I was strip teasing. I had like my G-string on. I was doing those cat pounce things in front of him. And he's like, what are you doing? Can you imagine if you're not in that frame of mind though, and this person's doing all this performance and they're, and they're just like, yeah, it was, maybe we could hold hands a little bit. Like, what are you doing? You know, you're like, do you like this? You like that? Huh, Ian? Huh? I asked him how he wanted to be seduced. And you're a professional. I know, I know all the tips and techniques. What are you doing? Why do, why do you want me? Um, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how do you want me to, like, you know, seduce get you, you around? around. Yeah. It's like when a guy... When, yeah, I, I think it's so interesting, too. It's like the minute... That's the, the thing of this fine line. I appreciate that everyone's having uh, conversations around consent. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, if you if someone... If I was younger and had a new relationship and they were like do you consent to me putting my hand on your breast? I'd be like, yeah, it's over. Right. Like get off, like get away. Right. Can't you read the signal? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes or no. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so you asked him. I asked him about seduction and he sent me like, there's this video that was out on like couples kissing or like talking about kissing. And I was like, really? Like this, you know, it was like some black and white, like with like a nice sensual song. And, wow. you know, they're just like talking about how they wanted to be kissed. And I was really surprised because again, I even as a sexologist, I was six and a half years in at this point, And I, I had this supposition that all men, you know, would be turned on by these things that are sexual. And so I had to learn eroticism. It's different, isn't it? Very different. And I think, and I, I'm going to overgeneralize, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I I feel that the more the the male has the capacity to truly sort of cherish the female, that vulnerability. I think the probably they would most of them would skew more on that side. It feels like because it's if they're out in the world and it's like okay, I'm. I'm sort of have this energy out in the world, but I have found this person that I'm really willing to be with. It feels like in some ways, I, I always feel like they actually are more sensitive 
than the female. Really, I, when it comes like I every hyper masculine guy I meet, and that's mm-hmm. like the they 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 share a lot of these traits, which is they seem in the end really more heart driven. Mm-hmm. Because we still, like, if stuff goes on, we still have to, like, take care of kids and do stuff. Right. So I think even though we cry and do all this stuff and, you know, maybe majority of us are smaller, I I actually think it's the male that has this sort of deeper capacity. Well, it's really interesting. I think that we underestimate men. Yes. In a in a very big way. And we've done them a disservice, especially around sexuality and how we've projected onto them what yes. their sexuality looks like. Mm. And so we've had over almost 3 million people take the quiz now. And we ask people what their gender is. So we have some stats now on looking at that. And what's really was fascinating to me, because I think all people think that men are sexual. And that was my supposition with my partner, right? If I touch his cock, if I say, let's have sex, yeah. if I do strip tease, like this is going to turn him on. And what we found through the quiz is, yes, there is a high percentage of sexual, but it's really across the whole board that men have all of the erotic blueprints. And so I think this idea that they're simple is really doing us a disservice Mm -hmm. as their lovers in not allowing them their full range of expression in eroticism and the depth of their sensitivity and the depth of what their hearts can bring. Yeah, I think that's really important to to be reminded instead of slapping on this like so overly simplistic definition right. of like oh they have testosterone and a erection and they're good to go right yeah it's unfair. no not true so not un- true at all and at 30 years of practice yeah that is not at all how it works no and i think even men think that that's how they're supposed to work well that's the problem so is then they, they come realize- to me and go what's wrong with me mm. i'm like nothing's wrong with you you're just not wired the way that society has created a standard narrative about you yeah Okay, so next blueprint. So we did sensual. Mm-hmm. Um, we did energetic. Energetic. Sexual is the next one. And we've been talking about that a lot. Yeah. We've been talking about the way the culture is wired sexually or thinks that this is what sex is. So for sexual, they're turned on by nudity, orgasm, penetration, what we think of as sex in our culture. When we're thinking of the definition of sex that's limited, that is their definition. Are they the low men on the pole? <laughs> yeah, because I, I almost identify with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'm really limited. <laughs> no, I think of it more as there isn't like a hierarchy in this, but the shadow side of the sexual is this limited definition. Yeah. But this is what sex is. Let's get to it. Let And then I have sex in order to feel better. Like I checked something off or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I now can relax because we've done the thing. Yeah. Um, that is very sexual. And so there is a not a lacking of depth within the sexual. I think, again, that can be a misnomer, but that there is actually this beautiful enjoyment of sex and celebration of sex, and that is their positive aspect. But again, missing the journey, missing out on the whole gamut of what is there to be experienced. Like, for example, for an energetic sex, the definition of sex is very different than a sexual. Mm. And so you get these two people together and it looks like, oh my gosh, how are we going to bridge that gap? Yeah. But it is bridgeable. What? Okay. So if, if Ian, and I'm sorry, I, but you guys have talked a little bit about this. If Ian is more of a sensual and a little bit of a, of a kinky, kinky. What, do you, what were you, what were you sort of shifting towards? So on the test, mm-hmm. I was zero kinky. Interesting. Which is the next one we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, we'll get there. About I, that word alone, <laughs> like put the children away. It's like, but it's not really that. Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> so zero kinky on my test, and he was zero sexual. My highest was sexual. 
his highest was about even sensual kinky. Interesting. So you can see how we're completely opposite. Yeah, learning. And and I think a lot of people listening can go, oh, I'm an energetic and my partner's a sexual, or oh, I'm a sensual, my partner's a sexual. That means we're not meant to be together, or that means we're incompatible. Actually, not at all. I think it's just you a can learning. help each other. Yeah, a willingness to learn. And then yeah. we begin begin to create more wholeness as we expand into other blueprint territory. So when you're saying you're not a kinky, I, I can relate to that because I I scored higher as a sexual. I can see that. It feels very blue collar to me. I'm just disappointed in myself on that. I saw that. And I was like, big surprise, but I do have a little sensual in there, which I thought was interesting. But is, no, just in, in sort of looking at this um, and learning the language, when you say you're not a kinky, but you're like, okay, I'm doing a dance. I've got the underwear on, but that is, was that just like, sexual. That's, that's what I think you need. And so we can get to it kind of thing. Yeah. It was okay. like, okay, let me put on the G string and be sexual <laughs> because that's what men are supposed to like. Right. <laughs> Did you lean in the doorway and do the whole thing? No, uh, no. Yeah. I've been on the floor doing the cat thing with like oh, yeah. my butt in the air, oh, like you know, yes. trying to get them all turned. And on. Ian was probably. It, it was, was like, like big. It would been great to have a tape recording of like what was going <laughs> what was on. Gonna, it said. So let's. He talk said about- that is too obvious. He said that to me. Really? And at that time, I didn't have the blueprints, so I was like, if I would have known, I would have gone. Oh, he's not a sexual. Right. I've been taking this. Because what wrong. is it kinky? Like, what is is it? What is so kinky? Is what's taboo. Ooh. So whatever is taboo for you, though, that's the oh, definition. So if good. somewhere in your mapping, something became taboo. So for example, I'm working with a couple. Um, they've been together for 40 years. He was in seminary at one point. So mm-hmm. like they got this message that missionary position was the only position that they could have sex in. And they did it once a week. And Was it on the same day? It was on the same day. No, come on. And so 40 years of that, yeah. you start to go this is, bored. I mean, why was it the same day? Because that was just the time their they schedules had decided, and the golf, and that was the schedule. The golf practice allowed, and her <laughs> All of that. card game, and whatever. All of that. It's just how they had organized life. And so, then, how do they arrive to come to you? That is amazing. I'm not sure how they found I me. I mean, come on, that's a big move. It is a big move, and so that's the courage I'm talking about. It takes this courage in your life to go. Wait a minute, I want to make a change. Something feels like we're two passing ships in the night, you know, and we're becoming friends instead of lovers. Yeah, and. Oftentimes people will have a renaissance somewhere. You have to recreate, you have to innovate in relationship. And so luckily they were like, okay, it's time for us to innovate. And then they found me and we started in and it was like, okay, well, everything is kinky because everything is taboo for them. Anything outside of that is now taboo. And so kinky was their primary blueprint because sex out of missionary position. Yeah. Kinky shapeshifter. Oh, um, but this going out of missionary position was very, very naughty for them just to try to change it up a little bit. So I want to broaden this definition of kink because I think we think of one particular aspect of kink that is this like whips change. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I think that all of our brains go there when we think of kink as opposed to like, well, no, kink is anything that's outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's become taboo. And there's two different aspects of that. And so that can be psychological. Like I want to play in submissive or dominance, or I want to play more in a power dynamic between the two of us that feels really, really hot and more in my mind, yeah. more psychological. And so then the other is sensation Are, are women more in the psychological and men more in the other? No, I wouldn't say that I've okay. seen it so much based on gender okay. um, because both of them can like to play in 
play in that for sure. And then there's some people who are switchy and they like to do switch in between in the bedroom. Um, and then there's the sensation-based, and sensation-based is when you like the sensation of the rope, for example, constriction or intense experiences of spanking or something like that where there's an intense sensation. Um, and that can be feel like naughty. Oh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm not supposed to be experiencing this intense sensation. But what's interesting here we in the, in the sensual, the sensuals can get caught in their head a lot and not in their body. And I think it's interesting that Ian's map is the sensual kinky because here he's very sensual, but the sensual shadow being, I got this to-do list I've got to do. It's hard for me to get into the erotic experience. Mm. And what I found is by using intense sensation, it shuts that off. You got him focused. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, here we are, baby. Yeah. So intense sensation can sometimes help a sensual or a blindfold can help a sensual to shut off the brain when it's trying to do all those things. And I think that oftentimes that's why those two blueprints play really, really well together is because those intense sensations are putting on a blindfold or doing something that takes away a sense or takes away a power can help people drop into the erotic experience. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I can't help but think when we're sitting here talking, and obviously the last time we talked, we had a different type of conversation because Neil Strauss was involved. Yay, Neil. I love you, Neil. <laughs> we're so far away. We've been, we haven't been educated at all about ourselves and our sexuality. I agree. And even, because let me oversimplify it. Let's say one of my pursuits is to try to be the best, kindest version of myself and high performing in all areas, whatever that means mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And if I haven't even hardly associated part of that with the conversation that we're having now, um, so that I can not only be better for myself in that way, but then for my partner. So I find it so interesting when I, when you really step back and look at the layers that we never address. Right. It's it's really interesting. Right. And most people will not learn this. They're not going to be six and curious by nature. Like right. this is obviously a path that you were on, right. um, that they're going to have to wait till they're adults, mm -hmm. maybe be in a relationship and go, something's not working. Okay, let's go get educated or more or mm -hmm. more tools, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, and the majority of people think something's wrong with us if we need to get education. So most people are not very proactive around sexuality to be preventative before it even starts. Yeah. And then it's interesting, this conversation about what's the best version of ourselves. And that used to be like such a driving question for me. It's like, what's the best version? How do I make it even better? How do I make myself even better? And I'm on a constant pursuit for that. And, it, and in sexuality, you know, like I'm always exploring what is erotically possible? What else is possible? And I think one of the things I discovered in my journey is that the best version of myself was me. Yeah. The best version of you is you. But your whole you. Your not whole one you. shoved in closets or right. quieted over here. Right. All aspects of you get to come. Yeah. 
and be part of your eroticism. You're mad. How does that become part of your eroticism? You're joyous. How does that become part of your eroticism? Because the erotic accepts everything. Look at life. Mm -hmm. It's all in acceptance. And so if you bring your sadness, bring, bring your tiredness, bring it. Don't think I have to compartmentalize these things from the erotic. Right. And that's what maybe also makes it different in each time because mm -hmm. it's your, who you are in that moment. Absolutely. I think okay. that's the best sex when you bring you to it. Right. Because then you're actually there and present and mm -hmm. participating with your real self, not just going through the motions right. and, you know, checking, like you said, checking a box. Okay. So. I'm going to add, oh, wait, we're, we're missing one. The shapeshifter. Oh, the shapeshifter. Yeah. yeah, I love yeah. that. So the shapeshifter is someone who is all of these, and they shape, can shapeshift easily amongst all of them, their full spectrum and their sexuality. And they're great lovers. I mean, this is a superpower. What's up with that? Well, how does somebody get to be a shapeshifter? Is that mean, is that sort of mean it's possible that that's actually what we all are meant to be? That's exactly and it. And they're just healthy fucking that's people. That's exactly it. That are like... What do you want to do? Full spectrum sexuality <laughs> is the shapeshifter. Yeah. And my my supposition, I don't have research on this, but my supposition is that we are all shapeshifters. But what happens is that we get wired and programmed yeah. not to accept all the aspects of ourselves, especially in eroticism. And so then that shapes a limitation. I think when you're looking at your blueprint type, you're actually looking at a limitation. And then you get to expand into the fullness, which is the shapeshifter. The shadow side of the shapeshifter, however, is that because most people are not evolved into the shapeshifter, is that they feel like they're too much. They feel like they're too complex. And I like to shift that frame to say, no, you're not too complex. You're actually just erotically sophisticated and erotically intelligent and whole. And the rest of society hasn't yet grown into the fullness mm -hmm. of who they are erotically. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg of what's possible. Yeah, that it makes sense. And I, you won't experience this because of your education, um, but I have experienced as a parent learning very early. I had a, one daughter in particular where I was like, oh, in certain ways I'm not equipped. I could mm -hmm. sense that off of her, that she was much more complex in her um, sexuality naturally. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about like some way she was acting out. Right. I could just tell by the time she was young mm -hmm. that this was a more evolved person. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, it's going to be interesting. I can identify that and be open about that. Right. But in some ways, I'm not going to probably know how to help you there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, talking with our kids about sex and how, what are the messages that we're giving them just from the way that we act when they go to ask us a question mm. or, and so I, uh, parents always are saying, how do I help my kids in this area? And I often say the best thing you can do is just keep working on yourself because when you're more full spectrum, then you can pass that along when you have that openness. But your openness alone is just huge because what did so many of us get? I mean, you had more liberal parents, but so many people didn't get any kind of sex education at all. And right. so um, and we're always educating our children about sex, even if we're not speaking about it. If we're not speaking about it, we're giving them the education that it's not okay to speak about it. Yeah, You know, if we're saying certain things are bad and wrong, then we're then creating a curiosity oftentimes because when they get into teenage years, they want to rebel against parents and do the opposite. Yeah. Um, and so then how do we give, just like anything in the world, how do we give them the opportunity to use the tool with consciousness and wisdom 
And that comes from your own wisdom and your own consciousness. And if you don't have it, at least to be able to recognize, well, maybe I can lead in a way to someone who has that wisdom and consciousness to be able to help them on their journey. Yeah. You know, okay. So I, you know, there's sort of this battle um, sometimes around sex because there's this implication, like it's a, it's a spiritual act. There's something, if you're in a relationship, I'm just making it up. Let's just say in the, in the world scenario that uh, if you're in a relationship, um, it's clean, it's good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus over here on this other side. um, And of course, unless it's two consulting, you know, consenting adults, but that with sort of within reason, like if you're Mm -hmm. out going out every night and you're taking a different lover Mm -hmm. um, and that's fun for you and fun for them. uh, I guess because it's, it's sort of this interesting thing of, I feel like people would talk more openly and fully about it because if, but that if they didn't equate it with, oh, you're just taking multiple lovers or you're in an open relationship versus you're in a committed relationship, Mm How do you, maybe, maybe you can help me understand this better because sometimes, and I could be wrong, it feels uh, also like a different type of escape from something else Mm -hmm. or an acting out of through sex versus, I don't know the, I mean, who am I to say, what are the reasons Mm -hmm. to have sex? Yeah. I think that the interesting thing here is where is the desire to have sex coming from Mm -hmm. or, and and then you're also talking about relationship and pair bonding. So what is, what is underneath all of it? What is the cause of the way that we are being in the world? And so I really like to look at it from, is it causing you distress? Does it feel healthful to you? Is it what you actually want? Or are you just trying to fill something that's empty? Are you just trying to get a need met that isn't being met elsewhere? Like, what is it that you're coming from in terms of your own consciousness? Mm -hmm. And are you doing this consciously or are you doing this unconsciously where it is something that is actually detrimental as opposed to a choice? Are you actually a choice here? Are you responding out of trauma, out of a need that's not getting met, out of something that is completely unconscious that you don't even know is there, that your system is trying to heal? Or are you actually in a healthy version? Because we can be in an unhealthy monogamous relationship, you know, just as much. And (laughs) I see this, you know, in, in clients who have abusive situations going on or something like that, where it's actually a really unhealthy relationship that they're in. And maybe there's a different choice there because they've tried everything and they stayed committed into something that isn't good for them anymore. Right. And and same thing even with polyamory or an open relationship. There's people who think that that's more evolved. I don't necessarily think it's more evolved. It's what are you in is where the evolution is happening. So if you're choosing polyamory or an open relationship, I see a lot of people who cheat in that. It's like, how can you cheat when you're polyamorous? Yeah, for real? Yeah. And so like, they'll they'll have agreements with their lovers and then go break them. And so Mm. what's that about? Like what's happening inside that's causing that breakdown to even happen? Or it's very, very unhealthy way because your body is actually saying, no, I don't want my partner to be open and it's hurting me every time they're with another lover. 
that's not helpful, right. you know, but we do things because we are afraid to lose love. We do things because we want to keep love. And so that just looking really closely at yourself of what am I denying? What am I doing? What am I practicing in my life that is it bringing me toward more wholeness and consciousness and awakeness and health, or is it taking me away from those things? And to be courageous, we've been using this term about bravery, yeah. but, you know, to be courageous enough to say, you know, I can love and it doesn't mean that I have to allow that close to me. I can love mm-hmm. and I can, I can love you, but this dynamic, this re- form of relationship or this way of practicing sexuality isn't healthful. And so I'm going to make another choice because I love myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that fundamentally, I know it's really cliche to say, and I think a lot of people do not understand what unconditional love for yourself really is. I thought I understood it. And then someone said, no, unconditional love for you, from you to yeah. me. And I was looked at him like, what are you talking about? Unconditional love for myself. I can love everyone else, but loving myself was one of my biggest challenges. And so, but once I had that, once I loved myself, everything changed. It's interesting, even receiving love. So from yourself, from somebody close, that's true intimacy. True intimacy. It's so easy. Like I'm happy to do everything for everybody else and to receive help <laughs> or love from somebody. It's vulnerable. You've got to take it in. Yeah. It's, it is vulnerable. And and uh, I think it's we, get, we confuse that mm-hmm. so much. Um, so when you say that you you know, figured out the way to unconditionally love yourself, what things did you do? that you created that environment for yourself Mm -hmm. and, and how, like, how old were you when this was, you know, brought to your attention? This was in 2017. That's very specific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I was born in, in 77. People can do the math there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, I know those, I know those years. Um, And it felt like I had checked all the boxes in life. You know, I had a beautiful home here, very, very nearby. And, a lovely partner, a beautiful son, you know, had all these successes in life, multiple books. Mm -hmm. And yet inside, it just felt like something's not right. Something just isn't, I should be really happy because I have all the things that everybody said I should have, all the things. And I went and got my brain scanned, Dr. Daniel Amen. I don't know if you know his work. Love him. I went and got my brain scanned and they were like, why did you do that? Because I thought something must be wrong with my brain. Like the computer's <laughs> off. The computer's off. Something is wrong physiologically, or I don't know what's something's not right. Mm-hmm. And they found that I had a traumatic brain injury and that I also, they diagnosed me with CPTSD. And for those of you who don't know what CPTSD wow. is, it's complex post traumatic stress disorder. And I grew up in a very, very traumatic place. Every day of my life felt like it was threatened. And it was a regular thing. So my childhood developmental brain developed in a soup of trauma. And so there just weren't things that were quite firing right. And I went on a hunt to cure this because I'd been working most of my life with growth and development and doing all the things, but it was always like I was putting a Band-Aid on something and not really getting to the core of what was going on with myself. And I'd always been a seeker spiritually and of course using sexuality as a tool for that. And 
I came across a woman and because they, they were like, you're treatment resistant. You're like, in the not amen, but like people I was going to is like, you were treatment resistant. You're like in the top 1% of the level of trauma that a human can experience. Like it's not great. You know, I don't know if you're ever going to heal from this. You're going to have to maybe keep putting the band-aids on. And I came across a woman who was like, I healed my CPTSD. I said, what did you do? She's like, I don't know if I should tell you. Please tell me, please, you know. And so she told me that she had done MDMA therapy. Mm -hmm. And I, she led me to MAPS and some multidisciplinary Mm -hmm. association of psychedelic studies. And I was like, okay, I, and I was a purist before this, like wouldn't drink water out of a plastic bottle, eat sugar, you know had not really, I was not into, you know, the, the fried egg, your brain on drugs kind of thing yeah. from the eighties. I had that okay. in my head. So um, I like that you can talk about sex on the heaviest level, completely like sober and not needing any <laughs> lubrication of any kind. No, nope. Most of us need like a, you know, and it, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So I really appreciate that about you, that you're that it's comfortable. It's like a cup of coffee. Like, Amazing. <laughs> let's, let's talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so um, how, how was that for you? How did you, how did that land that you thought, okay, I can trust doing something like this? It was really hard because, and I imagine I kept equating it to what people go through in their sexual journey, mm. like how people feel shame about things or needing to need something or understand something or learn something in sexuality or how much courage they had to have to go into something that was so scary. Cause for me, this was really scary. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen. And then I, I found someone who I could go to and I didn't trust them. You know, it was like one of those things of like, I'm doing this thing and I'm, I don't have any other option at this point at that time. And my first session was an absolute miracle. And my, I no longer would qualify for CPTSD, um, had a 15 hour that usually only lasts like four to six hours. But for some reason, my system was just like, I'm going for it. And I went for it. And that was part, just a huge part of the journey of healing my brain and taking it out of those neural pathways that were so deeply entrenched from the trauma and shifting everything. And in that first session, the practitioner looked at me and he said, towards the end, he said, unconditional love for you, from you. And then everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. And that first session, I couldn't do it. I like all this other stuff. Amazing. I could help and heal and see things and go through my trauma. That was fine. But that unconditional love thing, that was hard because my trauma brain had gone, you must be a monster for yourself to be beaten in such a way or to be psychologically damaged in such a way. You must somewhere be a monster. And I couldn't, my magnificence was the one thing that I just couldn't accept. It took me three sessions. Yeah. And then I finally got it and I finally got it and it's never gone away since then. I love myself so fully and so deeply and unconditionally. And because I love myself, I know myself. And the only thing I could do is love myself and knowing myself because I am extraordinary and magnificent. Yeah. And I think everyone is, and they have that right. Absolutely. You know, that's what you hope if everyone could even get a glimpse of that about themselves and not from a I'm magnificent. Right. But in that quiet, real rich way. Yeah. Yeah. That silent way of like, and then you see that everybody is extraordinary and magnificent in that, and you can only love them. For a parent listening, and, and you said, you know, maybe you guide them and you, you, you're you not inexperienced. You have a teenage son. Um, 
And obviously he hears that even shop talk for him, it's all around, mm-hmm. right? So there's going to be things for him that's intuitive. It's just going to be easier. It's like in my mm-hmm. house, there's things my kids know about certain nutrition things. It's because right. it's shop talk. It's around. All right. So he'll be lucky him. He'll be ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, as a mom, you know, what? what's the conversation? Like, how do you, you know, sort of without saying age appropriate, but let's say mm-hmm. age appropriate kind of reveal these options to him. Yeah, I think appropriate is a good word, actually, um, because we don't want to give our kids something that, because our consciousness is different around sex than theirs is, that they're not ready to hear. So when they bring you questions to give them medically accurate information, because a lot of our schools don't even have to teach comprehensive medically accurate information at all, we still have abstinence-only training in a lot of places, and so how do we give, when they say, hey, mom, where do babies come from? You know, my, I got very excited the day that question came. I'm going, okay, well, let me tell you. Women have a uterus. And then I start, and then there's eggs. And he's like, ew, eggs. <laughs> was yeah. Done. yeah, it's like fish or birds. Like, what are we doing? Anymore. So I always wait for him, you know, and notice where his limit was. Yeah. Okay, that was his limit. Yeah, uterus there's is something. really medical. You didn't even use the word vagina. <laughs> yeah. It was like uterus. Uterus. Yeah, way to keep him off for another 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> and animals could have been a good way to explain it as well. You know, what? but what is appropriate for their minds? Sure. Even a song on the radio can be an opportunity. Like there's a lot of songs that talk about sex on the radio. And so, okay, well, what do you, we, we do it with TV too. Well, we saw this thing. We saw this conversation. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. So then they can tell you where their level of consciousness is about it all. And then it's an open non-shame conversation because they're actually the one bringing it to you as opposed to you imposing it, especially when they get in the teen years. Like yeah. I said to my son, I want to come to your school and do sex education. He's like, no, oh, mom. that'd be the biggest nightmare. <laughs> your mother <laughs> no, at the front being right. like, okay, everyone, here we go. That'd be totally amazing. Embarrassing him. And then I'm like, well, if they say vagina instead of vulva, are you going to correct them? He's like, no, mom, I'm not going to correct them. Um, <laughs> so... It's good for him to have his boundaries about it too. Yeah. Especially in our household, you know, where we I'm very eager when he has a question to answer that question. So oh, I think he I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. His, I want to talk to your son when he's 25 <laughs> and just see. Because I just love, you know, it's like what happens at out of our own home. Right. You know, right. and the experience. So what do you, if you have clients that come to you, because I'm sure you do, um, you, you talked about the gentleman with maybe a little bit of erectile dysfunction. Sometimes you hear stories of women going through menopause and having hard time having orgasms. And unfortunately, a lot of people are also medicated. So right. their sex drive is down, right. all these things. So, and I think it's pretty common. Very common. Yeah. So I think what, we have a crisis actually around sexuality, around libido, around pain, around, because we don't talk about it, but also as we're going through these life changes mm-hmm. and then how is medication affecting sexuality? How are the hormones in our products affecting yeah. our sexuality? And so I think it's a really important conversation because I do believe that we are in a crisis around our sexual function and libido and connection. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Sex is a part of health. And you said the word connection, and that is Mm -hmm. one of the founding pillars of living and being a human. So, and our youth hormones are our sex hormones. I know. So, you know, if we, if our bodies think we're not having sex anymore, we start to shift our hormonal function. Yeah. So, how do you, 
if someone comes to you and they're sort of on this list of medications and they're not, they don't have no sexual drive and they're on these things, how do you try to open up that package? Mm-hmm. I'm always looking at four areas. Okay. So one is what's happening on the physical body. So let's just say somebody comes to me and they're having pain. And I may say, okay, first thing, let's look at where's the pain what's causing the pain? Is it tight muscles? Is there a tear? Is there scar tissue in the body somewhere? And a lot of people have scar tissue on their pelvic floor and have no idea that they have scar tissue because this is adhesions, falls, childbirth. For those of us who've you know, given birth, oftentimes there's some kind of scar or adhesion as a result of giving birth somewhere in our body. And midline scars are going to affect libido because of the way that the energy flows in the body. So we're looking at what's happening on the physical layer first. And then from that physical layer, then I want to look at the emotional layer. Okay, what's going on emotionally between you and your partner? How do you feel about sex? What's the sexual history of somebody? So in the intake, we're looking at all of these different aspects in terms of, I want to hear their whole story of their sexuality. When did that start? What was their sex education? Like some of the things we've been talking about here. Mm -hmm. And then, then we go from the emotional to look at the biochemistry. So now, has your doctor checked your hormones? What did the lab tests come back? What do they say is normal for your age versus what is optimal? Because Mm. I hear a lot of doctors say, oh, you're just normal for your age. And I'm like, well, I don't know if we want normal. Maybe we want to optimize Mm -hmm. hormonal state. And so working with the right doctors, working with the right people who really understand optimization and can understand what feels best for you and your body. And so we want to look at how that's affecting it. So pain could be caused because estrogen's low and now we have vaginal dryness and you're tearing every time you're having sex. And so that doesn't feel good. Believe me, I just went through this too. (laughs) I went through it after my my son was born Mm. where I just, all my hormones crashed. And this is when I first started learning about it was because, okay, well, hormones can completely crash after having a baby and you get really depleted after breastfeeding for two years. And And so then- Did you you use supplementation and like like omegas and certain things to kind of boost, regulate everything? After I learned, yeah, ashwagandha, all Mm -hmm. the jing herbs, um, and then got things going again, got my period back eventually and got things- He's been a patient guy, yeah? Yeah. Way to go, Ian. He has been. He's an amazing. I always, such an amazing man. I, I've said this many times. When I'm, when you when you are around a male who's been in a long term relationship with a female, they have an intuitive wisdom that you can't put your finger on, but it's ever present at mm-hmm. all moments. And um, my husband has that, and sometimes I will look at him and I go, "Oh my God, he's pretty patient," you know, because <laughs> we do have also three daughters, right? And um, I'll say to him, "Okay, fifteen minutes," and he'll say to me, "Okay, is that are those man minutes or are those woman minutes?" And I'm like, "Good point." <laughs> okay, so I've actually walked in on Ian once, and I was like, "Chop, chop." Come on. He's like, chop, chop. That's really sexy. <laughs> so we oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got 15 minutes. Chop, chop. Seriously. Come on. I know. Let's go. Oh, I, for, I mean, if you haven't been in a long relationship, you won't appreciate that this as much, but literally I'll go down and look for Laird and he'll be like, oh, are you ready now? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I mean, there's stuff happening. He's like, I go, why do you always make it seem like you're waiting on me? He goes, because you you have like the gold mine. I'm waiting on you because that's, you have the goods basically. Uh And I'm like, okay, but I'm always ready, willing, and able. He's like, yes, but you're doing a hundred things first. And now you're looking for me. And I'm like, I always say, I really appreciate your willingness to, you know, play along like when it's time, Uh you know, I don't know about you. I cannot, 
I, it's, I have a hard time having sex at night. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm a morning is my not good time. Really? I'm a night night person. You're and night? Ian's the opposite, of course. He He's like, morning, morning. Really? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And so we have to play certain games to get my head into the... Could you brush your teeth area. first, at least? I can't anyone kiss mints, if I don't We keep mints right by okay, the bed. Okay, yeah, because I mm-hmm. am like, do not kiss me deeply if I have... Like, guys are like, oh, I love your smell. I'm like, no, I want to be, mm-hmm. you know, clean. Yeah, that's know. a little sensual shadow. That might be a little of your sensual coming out there. What? Oh, really? Yeah. You mean that I want to have not have morning breath? Yep, yep. Because sexuals don't care oftentimes. Really? They'll just do it anyway. And sensuals are like the breath oh, and making yeah. sure everything smells yeah, you good. Know, you just and, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you went through this, and that's a good reminder to people is like there it's it's nothing wrong with us if we've no. gone through something. Sometimes the hormones get off kilter. Yeah. And your so, body is supposed to change. My friend yeah. Esther Perel says we oh, have yeah. multiple sexualities, not one sexuality. Mm. And so it's going to change throughout your lifetime. You know, you yeah. have children, that's going to change menopause. Things, yeah. things are going to change again. Yeah. Um, oh, and then but the final the, one, yes, the final the one thing? is um, bioelectrical. So oh. what's happening on the bioelectrical system? So on the cellular level, we're bioelectric before we're anything else. So we're looking at what's happening at the cellular level. We're looking at what's happening in the energy field, the bioenergetic field of somebody. And so, and those, those things are measurable. So we can actually measure like what's happening in the biofield. Is it with a machine? There's a shorts? squid device. I can't remember. Don't ask me to remember what that okay. squid stands for. Okay. But, yeah, no. um, they can measure the electrical field of our organs, of our bodies. And, Is that kind of like your life force, if you will? Yeah, it's the life bit. force, but it's also, again, like the cells. Every cell mm. has a positive and negative, positive positrons, yep. electrons, neutrons. And so we're looking at what's happening there and making sure that we're in that optimization as well. But like in all of these can affect each other. So if we have scar tissue, how is that affecting that mm. central governing mis- uh, meridian? And if it's affecting that energetic meridian, then that can cause lower libido um, because midline scars can often affect libido that way. So if a woman has had a C-section, would that be a, yes, that would be, I know it's not midline, but it's getting pretty close, right? Some of them vary because yeah. it goes going from hip bone to hip bone. Yeah. And then depending upon how you were stitched. So sometimes they will stitch all in one chunk. And oh. then sometimes they took the time to do each layer. I see. And if oh. they did each layer, then now you have movable layers. If they didn't do each layer, it's then all you, just it's band all together and together. blocked together. Yeah. And then that and scar tissue can grow. So, you know, you've got this adhesion there and then how that then that can affect. So if you're having sex and there's pain and you have a pulling pain, mm. like from the scar site or somewhere inside, that could be scar tissue. So how do you how where where do you send people to deal with uh scar tissue. So there's scar tissue remediation is a new thing that's wow. starting to happen where more and more people are becoming aware of how do we work with the scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellen Heed is a woman who I went to. So after I had my son, I had keloidal scars in my pelvic floor and Whoa. I went to her. She was, she used to be here in Los Angeles, um, but now she's up in Oregon, but she trains people on how to do the scar tissue remediation. So we spent a couple of years doing research together with postpartum women to see what was the best way to help them dissolve scars. And so if you're dealing with scars at home, anybody who's listening, castor oil is amazing to help break down scar tissue. It has something in it called ricinoleic acid. And so you can apply that passively, like if you're internal scars on a tampon, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Um, but if they're external scars, you can massage the castor oil into the scar tissue and it will help soften that tissue. I love that. 
This podcast is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind brands like Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, I'm going to add two more, Laird Apparel and Laird Superfood. So I know all about Shopify and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. And when they say of every size, they mean of every size. Being an entrepreneur is certainly rewarding, but it is not easy. And they are there to help you every step of the way. So they are the global commerce platform that helps you sell no matter, listen, if you're just starting out your business or you're ready to launch your own online shop stage to get the first real life store stage all the way to, hey, we just did a million dollar order stage. So wherever you're at, they can handle it and Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're promoting you know, things in the health and fitness, you got protein powders like us, we're doing apparel and food and coffees and creamers. Maybe you've got supplements. Maybe you're doing something completely different. Whatever it is, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, they've got you covered. So Shopify, they can help you make this so easy and streamlined because the problem is for me is that being an entrepreneur, there's enough challenges. And the idea that Shopify makes this part of being an entrepreneur easy is so, I just... I love it. So if you'd like to sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Gabby Reese, that's all lowercase. All you have to do is go to shopify.com slash Gabby Reese right now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash Gabby Reese. This podcast is brought to you by Neurohacker. I personally have been taking Qualiumine for over six months now when I got introduced to this product. You know, I like to try everything before I talk about it. And of course I was curious because it has to do with supporting cognitive function and memory. And for me, you know, I have the eating down pretty good and the moving consistently. I've got that, but it's just the list, like life. It feels like at times the lists kind of are closing in on me. And I don't know about you. It's like when you start forgetting things like, oh, I forgot that at work and I actually misplaced my keys today. Things that for me, I don't normally do. And so I'm always looking for interesting products that can support me that way. And Neurohacker combines 28 of the most research-backed neurotropic ingredients on earth into the ultimate brain fuel formula, and that's Qualiumine. And it, people have been taking it for years and really seeing the difference. What I really appreciate too is that it's research-backed. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are really meant to complement one another. So like I said, with the research, they're factoring in each ingredient's effect on supporting mental clarity. I will share with you also that I took the Senolytics, they have a two-day program, and it made me feel, for me personally, just kind of this homeostasis. And if you've never tried a product like this, it's backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee. So you have almost three months to really try quality of mind for yourself at no financial risk. And then you can say, hey, how do I feel when I take it, when I don't? Because I think that's the most important thing. I think we can share things with each other, but we have to know what works for us. So if you really want to see for yourself, all you have to do is go to neurohacker.com. This way you can find out for yourself really what the best brain formula on earth can do for you and your mindset. 
So that's neurohacker.com. And if you go slash Gabby, you'll get up to $100 off your quality of mind. And as a listener of the Gabby Reese Show, you can use the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y at checkout for an additional 15% off any purchase. So that's neurohacker.com, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash Gabby, or, and use the code Gabby at checkout for an additional 15% off to experience life-changing mental performance from Qualia Mind. Okay. If someone, let's say we're all in, if you're in a partnership and one person you can tell is sort of like rubbed up and they want to have sex and the other one is just not, they're just in a different place, Mm -hmm. but they want to connect with their partner. Um, we've all, I think been there and you want to please them. You love them. You want to connect with them. How do you feel about someone sort of it's not that it, they are going against what they want because part of what they want is to connect, connect with them. And part is like, yo, I, I can't be bothered right now. Right. How do you feel about that when they're, they're sort of wanting to be with them and they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, what, how does that, what I, does that sound like to I you? I have really interesting thoughts on this. Okay. I think part of it depends on the blueprint. So if you're an energetic and you're overriding yourself, you're overriding your body saying no. That can create detriment because now you're overriding your body's own no. So if you're saying if you're a sexual, it's okay. If you're a sexual, it's okay. <laughs> Go for it. Because the body isn't going to have this response. That's interesting. So if you're if you're really have a more of a record-keeping body or sensitive or have had other things that you're still managing, you have to it's really important to be true to yourself. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. But if you're, you know, if it's just like, oh, I'm tired or like that laundry list is going on, then (laughs) you can get into the mood. Yeah. Once you get going and you have that connection, you can get going (laughs) for sure. And yeah, for sure. And majority of people wait until they're turned on to have sex. And I think that's part of what contributes to the problem is we think like, I have to be turned on to have sex as opposed to, especially in a long-term relationship. Life is not sexy either. Yep. Like going from a work call to throwing laundry in the dryer yep. to be like, oh, you know, it's it's sometimes just like you said, getting in the, just get in there. Just get in there. Make the time. Do it. Yeah. You know, don't make it rote. Don't make it so that it's like every Tuesday at six o'clock. But, you know, because you want to have some surprise and some variety. Mm. But how can you create the space with each other? Because you do create it. And, it, and there are all these things that are like feel not sexy. And my, my brain does this little twist that goes, how can I make that orgasmic? I'm always asking myself to keep that pilot light on we were talking about yeah. of like, okay, can I make laundry different? Like when, we, when Ian and I were doing a kink game, when I was learning kink, I said, wait, I'll, wait, I'll wait, do wait. his laundry. That'll be really hot. Wait, uh, you learned kink? Yes. Who taught you kink? Well, I went to a lot of different teachers all over the city. Um, we did 40 days where I dominated him and then 40 days where he dominated me. Did you have a preference? I had, I did have a preference and you don't um, have to tell me what it is. I'm just curious. It's, this was before 2017. So this was somewhere like 2015, Uh, 16. So you dominated. When I dominated, I felt safe. Yeah. But my trauma came up in him dominating me. 
And so we were like eight days in and I called my therapist and I was like, one, I wouldn't call a safe word if something wasn't right. Cause I felt like I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of like, mm. there was like a part of me that just was like really dug her heels in yeah. and was not allowing myself to surrender to him. Ian's like, no, listen, I'm, I'm the dominant yeah. now. And I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> And so she said, you know, anybody else, I tell them to stop the experiment. But, and I was writing a book about this at the time. And so it was like part of my book and exploration and everything. And she's like, but, you know, you're a sexologist. It's you. It's like, I just think we can't take away your talking. You have to be able to speak. So no gags or anything in your mouth. And, um, you know, I have, you have to learn to be able to trust your partner enough to say stop or otherwise it's not going to work. And so I had to really learn. It took me like 132 days or something. I think I remember was the number to actually surrender and submit. But, and that was came out of my trauma. And that, that was the beginning, I think of me really realizing the impact Mm -hmm. that some of it had had within, within my relationship with Ian was that I can't, I have such a hard time submitting and surrendering. And that comes from the trauma. Yeah. Cause you got to hold strong. Yeah. Cause to, you have to trust people in order to not. And if you don't grow up in an environment, then the only person you trust is yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which Become is very self-reliant, which is great. Yeah. And then not right. Especially if you're intuitive enough to pick a partner that you could be vulnerable with. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Under, I understand that. And with him, I could be, I think part of the learning for him too, was he kept putting on a dominant persona and mm. he had to learn <laughs> to just yeah. really be in the loving dominant aspect of himself that he already was, you know, instead of trying to put on a role. Yeah. It's like watching an actor that you think is acting versus someone who's that at role is an extension of who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels more seamless. Yeah. You, there's two more things I, I really want to cover. Um, you, you talk about how um, pleasure and fertility are connected. And I just think it's an important thing to bring up because I know for a number of reasons, you know, whether it's testosterone is down or the environment has got tricky toxins in it or birth control has done a number on people or whatever the million reasons are that people are having challenges with fertility. Mm-hmm. But you also say, hey, pleasure and fertility are are connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a woman who I taught with for a little while. She wrote a brilliant book. Yes, Sherry Winston is her name. And uh, Women's Anatomy of Arousal is the name of her book. And she was looking at how the uterus moves inside of the body when there's pleasure. And I thought that this was really fascinating because there's little crypts, which we, I think we, she renamed because crypts are kind of a place where things go to die. Sperm hotels, we'll call them sperm hotels is what she calls them. And so the, the uterus tilts upon arousal and it holds the sperm in there differently than it would if it didn't, it runs out more. And so um, when we have high arousal, we call it, uh, Ellen Heaton and I called it uterine flight and it's where the uterus would come up in the body. And we have a different change in musculature in the pelvic floor as well. So this allows then the sperm to get to where they need to go more easily. Yeah. I love that. And so, be held in. Yeah. Poor guys, they need to be held. And positioning also has something to do with it as well. So there's positioning. And I'm always going to look at those four things. And yeah. we're talking about things on the physical layer, but yeah. arousal has something to do with it. One of those things. Yeah. 
And then I can't help, um, you know, think about now with dating and swiping and internet and it feels like it's probably pretty hard. I, I really commend young adults and young people with what they are navigating. Cause you know, the joke, it's like, oh, did you meet him in the wild? You know, like once in a while, when you hear somebody like, you mean you met just like out in the wild, right. you know? Or IRL, my son says. I'm like, what's IRL? He's like, in, in real, real life. life. This is what I mean. So I'm I'm wondering um, in a way to support young people dating. And, and it's interesting cause it, now there's like uh, sort of feminist movements where there's groups saying, okay, so now that we've gotten this kind of what is perceived as a form of kind of sexual uh, liberation for women, even though we're not really having these bigger conversations, right? Mm -hmm. We're having a form of it. Mm -hmm. um, but because it's uh, these dating apps, what happens is generally men would, uh, if if you took 100 men and 100 women and they all had sex, typically on the first time out, men are probably going to experience a more pleasurable uh, situation easier mm -hmm. first time out. Women, mm -hmm. it's a little, it's a dance, right? Yes. There's some nuance and things to learn. Okay. So now we're not getting, we're not as sexually uh, kind of satisfied because mm -hmm. of that. And by nature, typically there's always exceptions. Men like more variety. Mm -hmm. so and that's the, even what we're seeing in the quiz because they're all blueprints. Right. So right. dating app is like yeehaw. Right. So, so the feminists are saying, well, wait a second maybe we, we're we not getting what we want. So it's not like more pleasure right. or more connection. And, and then you have this other group of feminists that are saying, well, men shouldn't want that. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, don't put a piece of steak also in front of my dog and right. say, no, don't want it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way it's, it's sort mm -hmm. of seems unrealistic or unfair. And also like, do we want a world where there's no want? I don't want a neutered human, right? male or female. Right. I mean, I used to use it in reference to like my partner. It's like, I would like you to keep your testicles. Right. It's what I like about you. Right. It's kind of exciting, right. you know, but I want people to have this freedom and sovereignty and sense of like, well, what do I want? Mm -hmm. But what will, how can we support young people sort of dating and going through this, this way, um, I almost feel like we're getting further from the conversation that you're writing and talking about. Yeah, I from agree. True sensuality and sexuality. I think that there is a conversation to be had with young people about life and <laughs> just what does it mean to lie <laughs> What does it mean to be in life mm -hmm. and be an expression of life? And I think it's a hard conversation because how do we win? If this were, and win seems like a strong word here, but how do we win against a technology that's doing something to brains, that's creating dopamine, that's creating the hits that mm -hmm. hit into all of the things we desire in some way? And then have this other conversation. How do we how do we hit these same levers? How do we even compete against something? And then and then maybe it's not against. You know, I've also had that thought too of like, maybe it's not against. How are we utilizing these technologies? How can we then team up? Just like you said, like we don't want a world where our people don't have testicles. You know, we don't want a neutered world. No. We want 
we, how do we then integrate and come from a state of consciousness that's more integral rather than, and, or, because I think we have more and more polarity that starts to happen. And then it's us against them versus with, and seeking to really understand how do we date in this world? How do we, you know, it's not, it's not, it's their world now. I know. And not ours. And so it's just like, I think about my grandma, you know, telling me things when I was young, like even using a microwave. I don't use a microwave now, but like, know. you know, when microwaves first came out, she's like, that's the devil, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like now almost every household has a microwave, but like yeah. just this idea of how, how do we even as parents and adults evolve along with yeah. But also we see the detriment of it. And so how do we point that out? And I have more questions, I think, here on this question than answers. And I think us being in the question is important. Yeah. And us talking and having these conversations is important of like, how do we reach people in the level of consciousness that they're at versus trying to bring them to where we are? Yeah, I think that's a really clear answer. Because I think that's, for me, as much as I like to think I could find answers, I've learned I I do better when I live in the questions. Mm -hmm. And I just say I'm questioning it and that certain things seem to keep showing up though. Mm -hmm. Like that it is important for us to keep talking about technology and and not necessarily railing against it, but trying to figure out how do we live with it Mm -hmm. because it isn't going anywhere, but it's not going to solve all the problems. And it's making a whole other kind of interesting world that people are having a hard time in. Yeah. I could see a world sometime where people are inside of virtual environments and sexuality is happening inside of these virtual environments where people aren't interacting with people anymore at uh, some point, you know, like yeah. I could see that, how that could happen. I, I think it's like minutes away. World. I mean, war and porn basically drive all technology, right? Yeah. Pretty much. I'm sure. And then I'm like, let's just have our wars inside of virtual worlds, so we don't do it here. And like, let's leave this alone. And that's actually a good idea. Can we? And then bring sex back out into (laughs) the real world. Exactly. (laughs) Do you think? And this is my last question, because there's couples that you know I've been with Laird almost 28 years, and you know you start doing the math, like okay, if we've had sex on average like every other day ish, um, and this is something. uh, I'm just going to be totally honest. I think because I have a partner who has made it clear that they would like, they enjoy that sort of amount that feels important to Mm -hmm, him mm -hmm. that I, it took it off the table for me. Cause I was like, I really would like to be with this person and I enjoy it, but it uh, sometimes it doesn't occur to me because I'm busy Mm -hmm. and whatever. And it sort of kept me in a regular pattern. If I don't know if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That sounds very, that definitely sounds like a sexual, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Is that the shadow of myself? <laughs> so you're like, you're like in the, you're right on the line, Gabby. Um, <laughs> shadow, but also I hear a lot of that sensual because you're you're like the busyness of life puts oh. you in some of that sensual. Like I just I want to get to it, which is the sexual, but there's also like that I'm kind of distracted, so I'm not thinking about it. Yeah, and it's not top of mind. Yes, and and uh, but I it really was helpful that I had this person that is very loving and kind and present, but it was sort of like known. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's like, he really enjoys if I make him dinner and like that's happening. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And it's like, that seems really simple. Yeah. I could do that. Dinner and certainty that we're going to have sex. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Check. Um, very sexual. 
Yeah, yeah, check. <laughs> and so I think that's really helped me. But I see other couples through time, um, like they don't make it for whatever the millions of reasons that couples don't make it. But I've often wondered in the back of my mind if partnerships have also like a number. Like after we have sex 500 times, 10,000 times, <laughs> maybe 20,000 times, like we did it. That's uh-huh. it. We're good. Like it's done. You know, like they talk about the seven year itches when your partner, right? It's <laughs> right, when they walk right. into your your reaction mm-hmm. to their smell. Mm-hmm. There's a biochemical change. It changes. 18 months, there's like six, between six and 18 months, there's a chemical change. And then the seven year itch, there's a chemical change. Yeah. But your own personal chemical changes. Yeah. Birth and control affects it as well. Oh, yeah. People are mad about that. I yeah. had Sarah Hill on and she's like, well, generally women will pick a beta when she's on the pill. Yep. And then when she gets off, and people are like, wow, it's like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Um, so I wondered if you if you have ever in your practice, because you've seen so many people just thought, oh, they they just sort of they ran it, they did it, they mm-hmm. ran its course. I think the main thing that I see, it's not so much like the number of sex that they've had or that it's from <laughs> that was the last time. <laughs> <laughs> I see more the game that each couple is playing. And each couple oh, has a game that they're playing with each other. And sometimes they've been playing that game for 20 years Mm. and they aren't conscious of the racket of the loop that they're actually in. And then I get in there and I'm like, here's your racket. (laughs) Like, here's your loop. This is the game that you've been playing for 18, 20, 25 years, or maybe sometimes it's only four. Do you want to keep playing that game? Mm. And some of them know it and then now it's become aware and they go back in and they start doing it again and they can't stop. They can't stop themselves from doing the racket, the loop that they do over and over again. And that's where it's like, maybe some space. Yeah, so maybe you work on yourself yep, first and then come back Don't play in. that game. And then some of them go, oof, that game sucks. Yeah. We've been playing that game. Oh my gosh. And they wake up to the idea mm-hmm. that they've been playing it. And then they can't talk. They, they start to play it and they can't tolerate it anymore. And they sometimes will then split up because they can't tolerate the game. Yeah. Now, other couples will go, we've been playing this game and we're going to make a conscious decision right now that that game is no longer serving us. And if one of us starts to play it, because I can I can narrow it down to like, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, and then here's where this ends. Every single time I've watched you now for a year doing this. Yeah. So what choice do you want to make here? And a lot of them go, we're done. We're done playing that game. And they can catch themselves at step one. It gets mm-hmm. easier and easier. And then the, the neuro the neural nets just go, no cheese down that tunnel. And they stop the game. And that's where they innovate and they start to create a new relationship. I think what you just said is really important. People don't realize that change can really just be a thread gets pulled and the brain goes, whoa, uh-huh. and totally wake up. And yep. it, some things obviously take time, but when you can pull that right thread and it's instantaneous, I always liken it to the drawing that's the witch and the princess. And once you, you know, see one or the other, it's like your brain goes, oh, I, I, I see it. I see it. Yeah. You can't unsee it. You can't unsee and it. And then you become in that moment at choice. Yeah. How did Ian woo you? How did Ian woo me? Yeah. Okay. You'd be a tough it's woman a gr- to woo. It's a great story. Because you, you're one of those people who it's so sh- so in- unusual where you can be like, well, you know, you can talk so openly and matter of fact about sort of all things, especially when it comes to sex. So it'd be interesting to know how someone would actually get in there and excite you and and woo you. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting um, book called Why Him, Why Her by Helen Fisher. Mm-hmm. And she talks about 
oftentimes when we meet our beloved, the person who we are going to have as a life partner, it's when we let go of all of our rules because something in your life has happened. That's like, you're just like, fuck it. I'm going to do whatever (laughs) now. And I had just gone through a really bad breakup and I was two weeks into living in Los Angeles, had moved from Ohio, the Midwest to LA. And so I was in this transition time of just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to break my rules. And at that moment, you know, before then I was a raw foodist, like super health nut. I only dated men who knew Tantra, you know, like it was. Oh, geez. Like Were very, you gassy? Very, very picky. Come on. Was I gassy? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Tough on you. I had your okay. old bowel syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so super picky. And um, I was on a dance floor. And I had that night, we were doing contact dance down in Venice. And that night I had decided that I was going to explore my relationship with myself and not dance with any men. Because whenever I would go to these things, I would just be like men doing contact and all kinds of dance with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to dance with any men that night. And so they'd come and try to dance with me. I like push them and they think it's part of the dance. And they <laughs> so, ooh, lively. Like, no, no. <laughs> it was towards the end. And I finally had this moment where... I had my arms up and my eyes were closed and this beautiful song was on and I was just breathing into myself and I all of a sudden feel these arms come underneath my arms and there was this electricity that just came through my whole body and I could feel them behind me and my whole body just like took this breath and I was like, and everything in me surrendered. And I didn't even know who this person was behind me, but my whole body just softened into his arms. And the next thing I knew, he's flying me over his head, over his hips. He's dancing me in all these directions and ways. My body had never surrendered to a man in that way. And then uh, he asked me to go out and took me on this beautiful chocolate tasting thing. And I was like, I like this guy. And he had his own sex toys. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I, I won't even get into like the cleaning of and the whole thing of sex <laughs> they toys. They were his personal sex, oh, okay, sex okay, toys. Okay, for him. Um, <laughs> okay, so Jai, just remind people where they can find you. And also I want to remind people you have a free quiz and you have a quiz that's a little more in depth mm-hmm. that doesn't cost very much and it's online. Um, maybe just direct to people. And the new book is Your Blueprint for your Pleasure. Blueprint but you have a pleasure. lot of other books if people mm-hmm. want to go further back. But Just tell them all the places. Yeah, eroticbreakthrough.com is where they can take the quiz if they want to find out more. And the in-depth quiz gives you like your percentages of every blueprint so that you'll know kind of your whole full map on that. And the other one, the free one gives you one blueprint. It'll tell you like what your primary blueprint is. Mm -hmm. And then the book, you know, I go deep into even this, this idea of the games that couples play. Like, how do you unravel the game you've been playing in your sexuality? Um, And so you can find the book on Amazon or any bookstores are going to have it. So pretty easy to find. Just search it into Google. Yeah. I think what comes to top of mind in wrapping this up is sometimes as we're all trying to be responsible adults, whatever the hell that means, we have really parsed this out as something else and and also thinking oh it's disconnected from god and from goodness and like it's this it's this other thing mm-hmm. and i think it's quite the contrary and the more we can look at it that you take away the stuff that is those shadows that you're talking about and that it does become the the positive and light mm-hmm. and beautiful thing that it really is meant to be mm-hmm. and so i really appreciate your ability and willingness to straddle those worlds because it's not easy and not a lot of people can do it. So um, thank you. And thanks for Mm -hmm. joining me. Thank you so much for having the conversation. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. All you have to do is go to GabrielleReese.com or head to the episode show notes to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, podcasts, and so much more. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and send them to at Gabby Reese on Instagram. And if you feel inspired, please subscribe. I'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Laird Superfood. In 2015, Laird Superfood was created, but it was really actually created in my kitchen by my husband, Laird. And he was always experimenting with coffees and other ingredients for performance. And lo and behold, Laird Superfood was born. And we have beautiful coffees and creamers and protein bars and other things. But one of the things I'm very excited about is our new greens product. A lot of Americans are not getting enough fruits and vegetables. Something like 85% are not getting enough vegetables and 80% are not getting enough fruit and we need fiber. So for me personally, I'm always trying to encourage people, and I know this is Laird's philosophy as well, is real food, right? Let's try to get as much of the good stuff, the minerals, the nutrients, the macro, the micronutrients from real food, but it's hard to do. Our soil's different. People are busy. Maybe you don't know what you're getting at your grocery store. So this is a way to get it done and bridge some of those nutritional gaps. And what I also really appreciate about it, besides that it tastes good, I just do it in water first thing in the morning, then I'm done. And then I actually go and have my coffee after. But we use upcycled fruits and veggies, so things that won't go to waste. Maybe they're not really pretty, so we use them in our fruits and veggies. We use no fillers. So your body actually knows what to do with the ingredients. They know how to absorb it. There's fiber. And also we never use any artificial or natural flavors. Uh, This is something that is harder than people realize because to amplify flavors, a lot of times even, you know, using natural flavors is the way to do it. So I'm excited to share with you. And if you'd like to try it out, all you have to do is go to layeredsuperfood.com. And if you punch in the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y 20, you will receive 20% off. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.